Shanna Paxton. And I'm Jeff Gibson. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> okay, you take it from here. We switched up roles there a little. Hello, everyone. The official podcast of the Gibson Review. <laughs> in every episode, we kick it off with the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review. And then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, we have reached the halfway point of 2021. Can you believe it? Whoop, whoop. Live events, public events. Woo! Yes, yes, yes. That's that's a thing that is now possible but for many, many, many people. But it also means that it is time for us to check in on the year so and far. go to the cinema. Well, okay, but check in on the year so far, too, and kind of see what we think are the best of the year so far and the worst and uh, all that sort of stuff. So we haven't done this in a couple of years, but we will definitely be doing that this episode. And our film face segment will be... A specially designed list. Suggested by me. Yay. Our favorite double features. What is a double feature, you may be asking? And you will find out later on in this episode. Aww, no sneak peek? Well, let's just say that we'll, we will explain a little bit about the ideas that we had in mind you for this. You should totally stay tuned. Indeed. But first, let's start with the week in review. Shannon, you did not get to watch anything this time on your own, as I understand it. No, I did not. Okay. And for myself, I'm still trying to knock out the 1980s Disney movies. I might have done that by the time you're able to listen to this episode and published my thoughts on the live action films of the 1980s. Actually, I sure as heck hope I have because uh, that was definitely something I wanted to complete by the end of June. And at the time of recording, I just have one more movie left to go. So uh, I will say that... The 80s was definitely a better decade than the 70s was, but it was one where the studio was definitely getting progressively better over time. Uh, very, very dark in the first half of the decade, but started to lighten up. There's some messed up stuff that happened in the middle of the decade, but uh, things definitely lightened up and, and became the studio became what... A lot of people knew the studio to be growing up in the 90s, especially. So I am hopefully now chipping away at 90s movies. But in the meantime, you can check out the Disney Through the Years 1980s live action features article to read more of my thoughts on those movies at thegibsonreview.com. Now, Shanna, you and I knocked out a couple more movies, partially in prep for this episode. The first movie was not so much to prepare for this episode as to just kind of stay on top of things in general. It was a streaming-only release, shockingly, by Disney, well, of Pixar's Luca. On the Italian Riviera, an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. 
This is directed by Enrico Casarosa, who I believe did the short film La Luna for Pixar a few years back. And it stars the voice talents of Jacob Tremblay, Jack Dylan Grazer, Emma Berman, Maya Rudolph, Marco Baricelli, Jim Gaffigan, and I believe Sasha Baron Cohen, if I'm not mistaken. Shanna, what did you think of Luca? Do you feel like... It's like a little we're, like we're gonna fight. Yes, no, I feel I, like we're gonna fight. Well, that's an interesting <laughs> way to go into it. Do you feel like it was dealt a disservice by not being released in theaters, or do you feel like this is lesser quality Pixar and definitely needed to be dumped on streaming? This isn't a straight to DVD material. This definitely could have done well in the box office. Parents want to get out with their kids right now. So I feel like it was, it could have been this opportunity to get some earnings. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they failed Pixar. So it, it, it shouldn't even have been given the premium access, Disney Plus premium access treatment. It should have definitely been released in theaters. This was a, a must-see. I don't really care what they do, but this is a film that needed to be seen on the big screen. So you do care, right? It needed yeah. to have the option. I don't care if you want to do the premium and cinema release. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. But it would have been nice to have had the option to watch it at the cinema. It definitely is weird of them to make that decision. And I think it, it it's, is justifiable for anyone who worked on this film to feel cheated in some way. Or feel like their their work is being suggested as less than. So I agree with you. What do you think of Luca, the story, the animation, the performances, etc.? I thought the animation was decent. The underwater scenes were a little funky to me. But then we watched a special feature about what the water really is like in Italy. And then it made sense to me. So I was fine with that. I liked the characters. I thought the story was really good. What a great way to illustrate a child's yearning to explore and feel free and independent in their own skin. Hmm. You know, this is really such a lovely story. They're not spelling out a lot of stuff to you. So there's a couple spells, but, you know, not really. (laughs) And I just thought it was... A great film about friendship as well, especially when, okay, you've just made like your first friend and now you want to add a third friend into the, you know, the mix. Yeah. Uh, there would be three of you total. And that can really mess things up because, uh, well. The dynamic. Yeah, yes, it can yes. mess up the dynamic because mm-hmm. you've got a third person coming in. You mm-hmm. know, it's going to change things. Does someone feel threatened by that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's also this yearning to be faithful to your first friend. Mm but also make room for the next friend. Right. You know? So it's really interesting in that sense. And I also love the idea of family and challenge of being rejected by family, Hmm. whether it's just straight up rejecting the person or rejecting their beliefs versus your own. Hmm. Okay. And you feel like the film delves into that? I thought it did. Mm. You know, it it wasn't a deep dive, but Mm. 
it was a lot of little things that kind of were represented, I feel. Hmm. Okay. Well, I feel like there is a, a lot to appreciate about the film. I, I appreciated the beauty of the animation. The water in this film, I think, is... You know, we're 20 years after Finding Nemo, which was Pixar proving they could animate water, uh, CGI animate water, and, you know, the improvements are drastic, I think. It's quite gorgeous. Uh, I also appreciate the Italianness of this story and this film. In, in the language, the people, the textures of the environments, the food, mm. all these different little things feel authentically Italian while still retaining the Pixar aesthetic, so to speak, and the Pixar feel at the same time. All that said, I do feel like this is a good film that doesn't quite reach the narrative and emotional heights of Pixar's other work or the bar that they had, they have set, uh, especially during their first 15 years of, of storytelling. Uh, there's a lot of things that just fall short. There's things that don't quite, don't quite get there where that, where it's trying to go. It isn't quite as moving as it wants to be. It's it's a it's a good film, but I definitely don't think it's one of Pixar's best. Were you not moved? Um, I, very mildly. Oh, very mildly. I at the end when the mother is talking, I couldn't stop crying. Hmm. So I was moved perfectly fine. Hmm. Yeah, I I could feel that it definitely wanted to get there, but there's certain things that just weren't quite earned enough. And then also it has this mechanic of the sea monsters when they're dry on land, they look like humans. Um, if they get wet, they turn back into sea monsters. And it definitely plays fast and loose with that mechanic that doesn't always cohere with the the rules of reality that it originally sets up. And sometimes it feels more like we're dipping into Looney Tunes rules uh, rather than the, the rules of this world that, um, that is already set up. And so, you know, it, it just, um, it just didn't quite achieve the greatness that I know that Pixar is capable of. It's, it's fine film. It's good film. I don't, not recommend it, but I do get a, it a six out of ten. How about you? I give it a seven out of ten. I highly recommend it. Excellent. So that is Pixar's Luca available on Disney Plus, not in theaters. The other thing that we caught up with was Nobody. Now this. Now this was a bit of fun. I actually want to watch it again. It is an action film that I was really hoping we'd be able to squeeze in before this episode and. Thankfully, it just hit the rental market in time for us. It stars Bob Odenkirk as a guy who is going through the motions every single day in a humdrum life, and he gets pushed a little too far. His masculinity gets challenged just a bit too much. His family is put in danger 
And uh, we learn that he's not the kind of guy you want to do that with. Shanna, what were your thoughts of Nobody? Did you even have any expectations with this movie going into it? And in any in what ways did it maybe exceed your expectations? I had not been exposed to a trailer or any descriptions. I, then again, I think I saw a teaser trailer that just showed somebody who I thought was going to take revenge on something I thought something had happened and he was seeking revenge so and it was just someone who might look like they can't take you down but they can so I went in with very limited expectations I don't know this actor very well with regards to movies I know that he's oh. in Breaking Bad I know that he knows how to talk how I know he knows how to deliver lines mm -hmm. and, you know, with energy and vivor, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what I was going to get with him being physical because it looked like that's where the movie would go. Mm -hmm. But when watching this, I mean, I was smiling a lot, you know, every time something satisfying happened or something that was going to lead to something satisfying, I was smiling big and getting giddy and jumping up and down and clapping hands with excitement and entertainment. So I really thoroughly enjoyed the experience of watching this film. I think there's a couple times where I'm like, mm-mm, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but I didn't care because it's just, it's movie. It's like popcorn movie, you know? It's just for entertainment. You know, to give context, Bob Odenkirk is primarily, aside from Breaking Bad and preceding Breaking Bad, he's primarily known as a comedy writer and and performer. I mean, he he wrote for a lot of sketch comedy shows in the '90s. He had his own show, Mister Show, with Bob and David, David Cross, uh, on HBO in the '90s. To imagine him being an action star at the age of 59 is dumbfounding. <laughs> Yet, it absolutely works. Part of why it works is because he doesn't seem invincible. He does seem like a guy who takes a moment to get back up if he's, if he's hit really hard, you know. He also sells his past really well and and why he might be intimidating if you have any conception of who he used to be in a past life. And uh, it's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. He sells this really well. Sometimes this movie is quite audacious with its action moments. It's not, like, ridiculous. I never thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Like... You know, some people might point to, I don't know, a Michael Bay movie or uh, a Fast and Furious movie as just in completely implausible. I definitely didn't think that. It, it just stretches your, it maybe flexes, not even stretches, it flexes your uh, suspension of disbelief just a little bit, I feel. But it, it really held together and never took me out like, WTF of the movie in any way. I thought one thing about the action genre is this thing, this this genre, as such as it is, has been around for about 40 years as we know it. And it can be really hard to come up with creative 
action set pieces, creative action beats, creative action choreography. And somehow this film manages to pull that off. Mm. And sometimes some of it is hilarious. Some of it is jaw-dropping. But it's never not entertaining. Yeah, all of it is really great. It is also sometimes gory and wince-inducing, you know? So I was blown over by this film. It definitely exceeded expectations. I thought it was going to be all right or pretty good. I think it's a great action film. I think what we have here is the next John Wick. I could absolutely see, even though Bob Odenkirk is getting on in years, I could absolutely see an action franchise here. And, oh, it is worth noting that we do see appearances by the great Christopher Lloyd as well. Oh, my gosh. I was just about to say, don't forget about him. He just looked so happy to be there, and I just loved everything he did as well. Yes, he definitely exceeds expectations, but uh, I think that that is probably all we should say about it. Shanna, what do you rate uh, Nobody? Like a 9. I thought it was so great. Excellent. I give it an 8 out of 10. Oh, and also, uh, parenthetically, really cool to see Michael Ironside getting a little pudgy Michael Ironside in his years. I remember when he was a a lean badass in the 80s. Usually a bad guy, but very cool to see him no matter what. So that's Nobody, and that is our week in review. Now it's time to move on to the main event, which is the year so far. There are... No trailers. Right. Yeah. Okay, so it's been a couple years since we've done this segment because last year, the first half of the year especially, was just straight screwed. I mean, like, everything that was planned to come out between March and June of 2020 was thrown off, delayed by months, delayed by a year, whatever it is. We're still catching up with last year's releases, honestly, or supposed releases, they're still coming down the line. So in a way, it really kind of messed with this year's releases, and we still have some ripple effects in so much as last year, several movies were redistributed rather than theatrical release. They had to re-pivot and distribute VOD or through some subscription service. And the first quarter of this year, definitely saw still some more of that. Not only that, but the Academy Awards kind of messed with things by extending their deadline. And so some movies that were nominated for their awards were actually not theatrically released until January or February. So those become consideration for 2021 as well. It's a hodgepodge, very weird year But we are also, the past month or so, seeing more and more movies coming to the theaters and normalcy returning. Shanna, did you have any thoughts on that and anything else you have noticed about the movies that have released so far this year? I think everything's moving pretty slow. You know, it's been really difficult to feel normal again, feel and see and get excited about a lot of movies. Uh, There aren't a lot that are coming out in cinema. There's some that are going straight to streaming. Uh, 
some that are doing a combination. So it feels a little weird. It feels a little awkward, if that makes sense. Like it doesn't feel like a normal, a normal halfway review of the year. There is, uh, there is definitely a transition period that we've been experiencing. That's for sure. There's still some really great gems that are independently, uh, not independently released, but like aren't released in the cinema, like Together Together and Shiva Baby. I mean, neither of those were available for us to go watch in the cinema, right? Maybe Together Together was available for a week. Uh, no, it, it was. It was available in the cinema for sure. It just didn't exactly catch catch fire. And I don't mm. know if uh, Shiva Baby did get a theatrical distribution. I heard more people pointing towards VOD for that one. Yeah, you know, we're still in this phase of, oh, let's just go see if it's streaming. I'm caught in between hmm. because can I now get to the point where I fully embrace if it's coming, it's coming to cinemas first. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's how I've grown up. There was yeah. never really, even in South Africa, there was never really a straight-to-video option. They always tried to push everything through cinema to try and get some earnings. Even the straight-to-VOD, straight mm -hmm. they would try to push through the cinema first in South Africa. Yeah. So it's a very awkward time right now. Well, and honestly, Disney Plus and HBO Max are not really helping with that. That's Warner Brothers and Disney in the sense that Warner Brothers has committed to this year-long endeavor of releasing films on HBO Max and the movie theater for the rest of the year. It's and, very confusing for me because I'll see something like I care a lot and which was a Netflix thing. It was a Netflix thing, but you know, and you can expect that with Netflix movies, but because there's so many things streaming onto different platforms, it's it's just really hard to keep up with it. Well, and I care a lot was a movie that we considered because it was originally going to be distributed to theaters and had to repivot and uh, sell its distribution rights to Netflix. Uh, but in, in Disney Plus, what I was going to say is it's not helping with having movies that are available on premium access and eventually go into theaters. Like, I'm finding Raya and the Last Dragon in theaters now. That one was originally only available on Disney premium access. Cruella, same deal. It's very confusing. And what we've really tried to do is be very vigilant about what movies, you know, because there's a bajillion movies that are released on streaming, especially if you follow Netflix, what movies were actually intended to be theatrically released? What movies were actually intended to be a part of the big picture here? You know, and as such, we've seen 23 movies by my count from this year that are along those lines. And that's really not a lot. Yeah, it's interesting because what I find is we see less movies in the first half of a year in a, of a given year compared to the second half of a given year. You know, by the end of the of a year we will have seen roughly 60 movies, but like mm, two-thirds or three-quarters of it will have come from the second half of a year and maybe the first half we see 20 to 30 films you know uh that that tracks almost like normal but it is a little bit more unusual that's for sure 
let's talk about since we're talking so much about the the releases let's talk a little bit about the box office what i typically do is recount the top five box office earners and and shanna I will have you try oh, don't to guess. I usually guess? This yeah. is fun. I will have you try to guess what they may be. I will tell you that the this is an unusual box office year, whereas, or in the sense that the fifth highest grossing film so far this year has earned $53.4 million domestically. Okay? So that's our base. And and not all not every movie that's come out we've seen. So Shanna, do you want to take a guess at what the five highest grossing movies of the year so far have been? Yeah, I'd love to. How about Mortal Kombat? Go ahead, just give me a whole list of five okay, movies. Okay, so I'm thinking Mortal Kombat, Godzilla vs. Khan. I'm thinking Minari, Quiet Place Two, definitely. Uh, do I get one more? I think so. I mean, it, it might, uh, it might, mm, no, I don't know. It could be in the Heights or it's going to be Nomadland. Hmm. Okay. But Nomadland was only there for like that Oscar period. And in the Heights is still trying to get somewhere. Hmm. So I will say you named, I believe, two. Oh no! Two was one of the high, five highest gross movies, and there are two films in, that are the top grossing movies of the year that we have not seen. Oh, what have we not seen? In general, that's no, the of note. two that have not. Okay, so number five. I'll just go down here. Number five is The Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It, made fifty three point four million dollars, despite also being on HBO Max for a month. So maybe that means Saw 4? Spiral? Yeah? Nope. Oh, okay. Number four is Raya and the Last Dragon, made $54.1 million, despite also being on Disney Premier Access. I'm sorry, but are they including Premier? Nope. Prop- oh. This is in the theater. Okay. Theater only. Wow. The streamers, I will say, for some of that don't know, streamers don't usually release their information publicly of how well a movie did. And, you know, it is a weird thing when it comes to something like HBO Max where it's clearly dependent on or solely dependent on views and subscribers, right? Now, you don't imagine people are going to be signing up for HBO Max specifically for The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. So... That's a whole other conversation. I know it's complicated, but that's where we're at so far. So two movies that were released to streaming also eventually were released in theaters or were released in theaters at the same time and were the top five. Number three, Cruella, $66.1 million, also was on Disney Premier Access. Also one we have not seen. Correct. That's the second one that we haven't seen. That's in the top five. Number two, the second highest grossing movie of the year so far at $100.4 million, The first movie to cross the $100 million threshold. A whole $35 million more than Cruella is Godzilla vs. Kong. And it's only third. 
Number two. It's two. Oh, number two. It's the second highest. Sorry. And it also was released on HBO Max at the same time. Number one. The only film in the top five to not have been released simultaneously on HBO Max. Is A Quiet Place 2? Quiet Place 2. Very good. $127.7 million. All right, so that's what the, the top five goes. It's very interesting and surprising because you'd assume that if people have access to these things at home, they, they wouldn't be earning that much in the box office. And really, they aren't, right? Like, they could have been earning more if their only option was to go to the theater to see these movies, right? Like, these are very low figures, but they're still earning enough to be higher than many movies that were not on those streaming companies. So that's kind of fascinating. I think it's also interesting to look at what a quiet, how A Quiet Place did, the first one. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're looking at the lifetime gross of A Quiet Place, which obviously its sequel's not that far in into its lifetime gross yet but that made 188 million dollars domestically in its entire lifeline so that is only 60 million dollars more than the sequel has already made i mean that's not bad that's not bad for coming back from a pandemic yeah uh, it's a sequel we we knew it was going to be good but you never know with a sequel for certain, you know, until you've watched it. Well, so. there's a certain degree of anticipation, mm -hmm. right, from the first one and it being delayed a year because that movie, as we mentioned in our review, uh, was slated to release shortly after the pandemic started and they got booted for, I think, immediately a year. I could be wrong on that one. So the box office numbers are really fascinating when you take into consideration all these other little factors but also what does that mean for the year so far in terms of what these movies are right you have two disney films you have a, a sci-fi horror sequel being taking the top spot of the year you have a and an one one spectacle right one franchise spectacle and then you have a horror film this is difficult. It's the first year. It's not even a full year. It's maybe three quarters, maybe half a year worth of movies coming out because not all the cinemas across the country have opened. Yeah, I mean, it's not three quarters, right? We're only halfway through the, the year. Yeah, but, the, you know, we had started going back to the movies in, what, April? Uh, yeah, fairly consistently, yeah. So that's why I'm saying, you know, three quarters. Mm. By the end of this, it's going to be about three quarters, half a year worth of films. So, you know, it's somewhat... By the end of the year is what yeah. you mean. So it's somewhat normal that there's two horror films on there. There's an action film. One and horror there's, film. Well, there's in Quiet Place well, and Conjuring. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could okay. say Quiet Place, yeah. And then you've got two Disney films. And Disney probably could have had another film. You know, if the if, if Raya... <laughs> If Raya did well, if Cruella did well, Luca probably would have done well too. The whole family gets to go, guys, usually with Disney movies. So it is fascinating 
you know, you look at the rest of the top 10 and you have the horror film Spiral at the bottom. You have Nobody, the action film right below it. And we're talking in the 20 millions, by the way. Wrath of Man, another action film with Jason Statham. Mortal Kombat. That made, I think that's a, that's fair to say it hit its uh, lifetime gross. It's 42.1 million. Really low for a franchise action film like that. But it was also on HBO Max. And yeah. then T- Tom and Jerry. Something that the whole family can go to. Also on HBO Max is right below The Conjuring by about 7 million. So it's it, it, it's so puzzling and fascinating and weird and is definitely a funky period where we're in a transitional period and it's also saying like, okay, well, is it can any conclusions be made about the simul release, simultaneous release of streaming and theatrical? Is this too funky a period where there's not enough theatrical competition to be able to make a fair judgment. I mean, these are low grosses. I mean, these are really low grosses. Yeah, of course, especially if you look at the past five years, if not decade. But I think the proof is in number one. Number one is A Quiet Place 2. Number one was not streamable at the same time. I Mm -hmm. don't think it even is streamable yet. Right. So do the math, guys. Okay. I don't know. I'm getting a little upset here. No, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. Did you have anything else that you wanted to speak to about the year before we start talking about our picks for the best and the worst of the year so far? You know, last year was kind of a quiet year. I really appreciated movies like First Cow and Never, Rarity, Sometimes, Always. This year, I'm really appreciating things like Shiver Baby, Together, Together, but then also Mortal Kombat. Okay. You know, so there's this contrast that's happening within me. Okay. And I'm looking forward to the rest of summer because, you know, I forget June is about to end in about three or four days. Right. And July and August are coming. Right. And there's a lot of stuff coming in those two months. And I think Suicide Squad, that might just start creeping up there. You know? Yeah, you know, that could be a a giant hit. That could be the one where at that point, finally, more people are... The the theaters are more packed than they are, like, right now, right? That could be the one where everybody goes out and sees. Or it could be, what is it, Black Widow's coming in two weeks, week and a half? Yeah, at the time of this is hitting people's ears, it'll be coming out this weekend. Okay, so maybe we see a difference here. Or maybe the only time we're really going to see a a difference is when Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings or a Million Uh Rings. Maybe that's the point where we actually see a big jump. You know, maybe for a while, a DC movie is going to be the top grosser until the the other two Marvels come out. Yeah, Yeah, we'll definitely find out. uh, That's for sure. And we will be reviewing a lot of those movies on this podcast But in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about our picks for the best and worst of the year. For those who don't remember, or maybe they've been new listeners since the past year or so, what we do in this episode is Shannon and I pick our respective worst films. We also pick our respective 
five best films and we try to like if we have shared picks those become our top one two three movies whatever typically we have a shared two or three films on our respective lists it's a little bit different this time we'll get into that in a moment but Shannon, let's talk first about our picks for the be- the worst movies Ooh, of bets. the year yeah. so far. So that way we're not ending on a sour note. <laughs> that sounds great. Okay. I believe the worst movie of the year so far with me is White Tiger. Ah. Talk about why that is. Because while we did, a, I think, a discussion during the Weekend Review a couple episodes back, that's a well-reviewed movie. Look, I get it. There's a lot of things that are happening in there that we don't see in film. There's a couple things I've noticed in my nanny group on Facebook that is enlightening, you know, due to this film. Mm. And it's very interesting. But as a film, it suffers with a couple things. It suffers with the cinematography for me. It suffers with a couple loose ends, a couple disturbing things. And I guess it's the one that might fall into the category at the end of the year as I just, I didn't... Didn't get it. Didn't get it. Mm. You know, and not in like a, oh, I couldn't relate to this movie at all because I can Uh on a certain level. And I am totally willing to soak up whatever they want to share with me. But it was a very, very unpleasant film for mm. me. So more unpleasant than Tom and Jerry or other movies that we saw this Dude, year. Dude, hey? like, I don't know why you're such a hater on that movie. It's not the worst movie of the year. Okay. Tom and Jerry, at least it's Tom and Jerry. You know, we knew okay. them when we were kids. Okay. Yeah, uh, that film, The White Tiger, maybe makes my top five worst of the year. Not my pick for the worst, though. My pick for the worst is the United States versus Billie Holiday. This film... I see. Yeah, we Mm. reviewed a couple months back. Yeah, yeah. Right? And we, we felt a little bit differently about it. I think you appreciated the movie a little more than I did, or a lot more than I did, obviously. Uh, actually, I think this is one of the that was one of the few reviews where our scores were extremely opposite. But I really feel like there is a fantastic performance wrapped up in a god awful biopic that hit just every beat and every message with a sledgehammer beating my skull with what it wanted to get across and is some of the worst writing in a dramatic film I have seen this year nothing yet even Tom and Jerry I would rather watch Tom and Jerry than watch and experience the United States versus Billie Holiday again Honorable mentions for worst of the year. Did you have any uh, other ones that you considered for that title? I care a lot. This was a huge waste of talent. The cost was amazing. 
and you didn't do them justice in what they could have achieved and what they could have done as characters. Mm. That's how I feel about that. All right. That's my honorable. Any others? And then Army of the Dead. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hated Oh, my that God. Movie. I really felt like two hours of my life had two been wasted. Half. Two and a fucking half had been wasted watching that film. Mm-hmm. It could have been a great opportunity. Again, cool cast. Wasted. You know? Yeah. My honorable mentions are uh, The Woman in the Window, which is mm-hmm. just a mm-hmm. bafflingly mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. Bad film with an extraordinary pedigree. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, there was it was such a good pedigree. It's like who starred and who who made the film. It's like how could this possibly be this bad? Tom and Jerry, which I keep <laughs> hitting over the head. Uh, not an unwatchable film, but also not a good movie. Same thing with Army of the Dead. I it's that's a movie that the more you think about it over time, the, the more w- enraged you get. Well, the worse it gets for mm. sure. The mm. worse it gets. I didn't. I wasn't as furious with the film as you were, but my God, there is very little to defend about that film. You don't make a fan fucking tastic. 15 first 15 minutes of the film and then fuck your audience over afterwards okay you do not it's so rude incredibly rude yeah all right so those are our picks and our honorable mentions for the worst movie of the year so far Shanna, our best movies of the year what we typically do is we will typically discuss our two or three respective picks in our top fives and then we will count down our shared three one two three films or whatever right usually it's two or three films that we have in common on our respective lists that become our picks for the best movies of the year this year there are only two movies that we both agree on as the best films of the year so what we'll do is we will count down our respective picks for five through three, and then we'll talk about our picks for the be- two best films of the year, okay? So with that said, Shanna, why don't you tell us a little bit about your pick for the fifth best film of the year? My fifth best pick is Together Together. I love this film. It's basically about a relationship between the surrogate and the future parent of the the unborn baby that is being carried. And it, you know, it kind of gets blurry lines here and there because it's it's an odd relationship. It's not a relationship that's practiced a lot uh, except in Handmaid's Tale. Uh, which isn't a healthy version of a surrogacy. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting because it's something that we haven't really looked at very hard and we haven't looked at the awkwardness of it or the fun of it or the wonderful human connection that can come from it. Uh, Two people coming together to make a baby, but not in the traditional sense. Right, 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 yeah. I love this film. I thought it was a unique perspective. I love the actors. I... I thought it was very interesting. Excellent. My pick for the fifth best film of the year is Nobody. Oh. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. We just (laughs) talked about it. 
I kind of sung its praises earlier. I didn't earlier. process it. Oh, fact, fascinating. Yeah. An honorable mention, perhaps, for you then. Yes. Uh, so I already kind of sung its praises and why it, it would even be in consideration. So, mm. yeah, that is my pick for the fifth best film of the year. How about your fourth? That was a very well put together action film. My mm. fourth is The Mitchells and the Machines. What a great movie about a family. Learning to let go, learning about sacrifice, coming of age, and realizing your parents do love you it's hard for them too and you love them as well so hearing your kids say i love you seeing your kid and sharing experiences with your kid that's the way to show i love you they might not see it right now they'll probably only see it when they're 30 or have their first kid experience uh very good my fourth best film of the year is a film that is shockingly underappreciated by audiences, I think, not underappreciated by critics, for sure, and certainly not underappreciated by me. It is Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, directed by John Chu. We reviewed this film in the previous episode of the podcast. You can definitely hear our thoughts there. I recommend it. This, this is a film that stuck with me. I was impressed with... What is uh, depicting, what is giving me a peek in into the experiences of, and the different nuances within those very real human experiences in our country. And also it has some really great music, great cinematography, and great choreography too. And talents. At 100% across the board. So In the Heights, I counted as the fourth best movie of the year shanna what is your pick for the third best film of the year my third best film of the year is shiva baby Mm. what a great film again family awkward relationships bad timing suffocation of relationships and and just trying to navigate and figure out who you are when you're trying to break away from all of that. Yeah. Uh, so kind of a like next step after the Mitchells and the Machines. A great double feature. Yeah. <laughs> My pick for the third best film of the year. Actually, if I were to rank this myself, it would be my pick for the best film of the year, I believe. I, I really actually want to rewatch it and reconsider it and see if it would really stand here. But it's definitely in the consider in the top five. I'm putting that three for this list. It's Nomadland by Chloe Zhao oh, with Francis McDormand. This is a movie that was released in the theaters, I think, in January. Finally, I'm going to verify that. It was not theatrically released or available for public to see until the end of January outside of film uh, festivals. And so it is very firmly planted in the 2021 release schedule. And it was extraordinary without being or trying to be extraordinary. Uh, Everything about that film is grounded and very like mise-en-scene and and just like very much a slice of life realism a kind of a neo-realist film actually it's very much a neo-realist film no one makes huge dramatic speeches or movements or the the 
nothing about it is big, right? But you still feel the challenges and the experiences of everyone involved, most especially Francis McDormand's character. Uh, great film, Nomadland, pick for the third best film of the year. Shanna, do you want to share our, fir- our second best or our first best? Maybe our first. Okay, so I will share our pick for the second best film of the year. That is the highest grossing movie of the year so far, A Quiet Place Part 2. Yay. Yes. Such a great come back to the theater, be scared together, shout together, scream together, I don't think cry together kind of experience. 100%. Thrilling film. Does everything the original did and more. Does the opposite in many ways of what the original did, which is a very smart decision in terms of sequel writing, in terms of writing in general. And I was just very impressed with this. This is not a film that let us down at all. And that's also a movie that you can hear our review on about two or three episodes back. Okay, Shanna, what is our pick for the best movie of the year so far? pretty boy, pretty boy, pretty. I'm not pretty. I'm good looking. It's Minari. What a wonderful immigrant story, completely relatable from the mom bringing stuff over from Korea to trying to make business work here. It's also an entrepreneur film. So much relatable in this film happening. And just the togetherness, the family, how to fight for each other, how to support each other, how not to not support each other you know that's that's just as difficult as learning how to support is like okay this this is not how you show support and this is how you show support they go hand in hand and that's really what this film is dealing with and just the being there husband and wife and how to do that and how to give each other what they need Mm -hmm. you know wife needs mom Husband needs support in this venture he wants to go into. Mm-hmm. And it's it's big things, you know? Absolutely. Beautiful film by A24 that was firmly released in mid-February. The other film on our picks that was already considered by the Academy for Best Film. We see it as a 2021 release because of where it falls on the release calendar. And it is indeed one of the best films, if not the best film of the year. Shanna, any honorable mentions that fell just outside your picks for the top five you wanted to give a quick mention to? A totally missed opportunity to go together to the cinema with friends, Girls' Night, Barb and Star, go to Vista Del Mar. I would have loved for that to have been a film that I got to experience with my girls But we did get to go with friends to In the Heights. And that was a fantastic, amazing community experience. I love that we got to see that with our friends. Those are my mentions. 
Excellent. You know, we are not that far off. Even though we only had two that made our respective lists that are in, in common, we aren't that far off, actually. You mentioned Together Together. That's just outside my top five. The Mitchells and the Machines right before that. And Shiva Baby. All the those three films are truly among the best this year has to offer so far and are worth checking out. Uh, we talked about each of those movies in different Week in Review segments, I believe, so people can hear more of our thoughts about those. That and Raya and the Last Dragon, another film that was very impressive in a lot of ways, very impressive world-building. I uh, did not really underwhelm and uh, was was a really good Disney film. So uh, those are my honorable mentions of the best the year has to offer so far. But what are your picks for the best film of the year so far? Feel free to email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. And now, Shanna, it is time. Film faves. Film faves, for those who don't know, are our segment inspired by a feature on thegibsonreview.com wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. The idea is to give you a sense of our taste in movies, but also hopefully expose you to some titles maybe you haven't heard of before. And to that end, we try to point out movies that are available on subscription services that are our favorite. There's a lot of subscription services out there, Remarkably, most movies are not available on those subscription services, uh, but you can usually find them on Amazon. Here's the subscription services that we do focus on bringing attention to. That is Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Apple Plus, TV+, Plus, HBO Max, and am I forgetting anything? I, I don't think so. All right, HBO Max, perfect. So... With this topic, we are talking about our favorite double features. Now, the idea is not to be focusing on sequels or even necessarily remakes or reboots of franchises. This is That would be a totally different list. Well, yeah, it would be a, definitely a simpler, easier list, right? And in, the idea that you came up with, I believe, that was interesting was... Movies that, are th that have thematic or character similarities, right? Yeah. Something that goes together like peanut butter and jelly. Honey and butter. Sometimes, often. Honey and cheese. Or maybe yeah. you wouldn't even necessarily thought of it. So, mm -hmm. Shannon, why don't you share a little bit of your experience crafting your favorite double features this was a really important list to me and it was very difficult to do because it's one thing for me to say to you let's put movie a and movie b together it's another thing to say well a and b are my number five c and d are my number one that was incredibly difficult to rate the double features so how did you go about doing that what was the criteria that you took into consideration in terms of like what would be your 12 versus your number one man that was super hard uh but i basically got down to if we had all the time in the world 
what would I, which double features would I want to do the most? Oh, like, okay. <laughs> which double quadruple features <laughs> would I want to have in a row? Mm-hmm. You know, if we had 16 hours to ourselves to, to do this project, mm-hmm. what would I pick as my six, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah, yeah. my three features, double features. Gotcha. But also like ones that excite me and make me happy and, make me kind of feel good about pairing them together because sometimes it's like that. Sometimes as we were going through this, we would be like, well, what about this movie and that movie? And we'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Or we'd be like, what about this one and this one? No, not quite, but what about that? And then this other one I'm thinking of. Right. So there's a lot of that that happened. And sometimes, I mean, I don't know what we're going to end up with on our lists, but while we were brainstorming this, we did have a few where we would be like, there were movies A, B, and C, and I said A and B make sense, and you said A and C make sense, mm. uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. So I wonder if we'll come across that with our favorites. Yeah. A lot of factors I took into consideration here. My first, I thought I would do an interesting challenge of, okay, I had like 50 double features that I needed to narrow down to 12. So I was like, aha, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it easier on the listener, and I'm going to narrow it down just to double features where both movies are available on these streaming subscription services. Are you mad? (laughs) And you know what? You didn't do it, though. Please tell me you didn't do that. There was only six. Double features. Five or six. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe only five, actually. I'm not sure. That actually fell under that, where both films were available uh, on streaming services. So many movies not available on subscription services or so many combinations where only one is available on a subscription service and another is not. But again, most are available to rent on either Amazon or Apple TV. So there is that. So that concept, that restriction did not work very well but please do not do that to us in the future i will i will want to scream and run away well that's why i just put it on tried putting it on myself it didn't work obviously Mm. and also what was it i I also tried to consider okay i have to be excited about both of them right so in addition to this restriction that i put on myself which you will hear those pairings i was also taking into consideration okay i like this movie but I love this movie. So maybe not so much that pairing, you know, and really tried to make it a true favorite double feature where it's not so much, not just the concept of the double feature I'm in love with, but both movies as well. So you'll hear some of that in my list too. I also tried to, when you had mentioned what well, should be two favorites that are favorites, that made sense for me and that kind of unlocked a release because mm. sometimes it would be a pairing that made sense but not as a favorite yeah. for me. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so shall, was there anything else you want to say or shall we dive right on in? So I tried to vary it up a little bit, mm-hmm. but there are so, I have so many. Maybe we could do a part two list. I don't know because this was just so much fun. This is like maybe in my top five lists. Mm. Excellent. Awesome. Well, maybe we can run through and share some extras at the end here. But what is your, what did end up being your 12th favorite double feature? My number 12 is going to be 9 to 5 from 1980, 
and The Assistant from 2020. The Assistant is still available on Hulu to stream. This is a great pairing. Nine to Five and The Assistant both have something in common. They're both working for powerful men in a company. And Nine to Five does not have resources, a human resources person to go to Mm. if there's a problem. And The Assistant does. Mm -hmm. And both female characters in both movies will have the issue of needing to deal with this themselves and one will feel empowered by the experience and another will not because Mm. in the real world there isn't really anything you can do about it so a a great way to watch the this pairing is to actually do the assistant first and then nine to five one is more fun than the other and one is let's give you some realism here yeah absolutely that is a great brilliant idea and you know, it's interesting how you explain which one you feel like should go first because that's something I took into consideration. Okay. You know, like I, I don't want to accidentally spoil anything, but I'm probably going to make the second one the fun one, <laughs> you know, if the right. first one is more serious. Okay. Yeah. See, that's interesting. And for me, what I did was I always went with the older film first. Oh, okay. That was my well. judgment call. That's an interesting choice, yeah. So with that, my 12th favorite double feature is 1979's Kramer versus Kramer and 2019's Marriage Story. Hey, that's a great one. Kramer versus Kramer, available on HBO Max. Marriage Story, available on Netflix. That is one of a handful that you can go from one right to another if you have those subscription services. Kramer versus Kramer is an interesting one to try to watch today. You know, they're both about divorces, in case you're not familiar. Both films have a child that's involved in the divorce. Uh, Both really try to take a look at this picture or try to give a picture of this situation in their respective times. And it's really interesting to see what that looks like at the end of the 70s versus what that looks like and how it's treated at the end of the 2010s. Mm. Uh, I feel like society has definitely pulled away from one compared to another in terms of how the man is treated or how the woman is treated in the film. I not necessarily think that Kramer versus Kramer is as balanced a movie as what marriage story might be, but it's definitely an interesting and intriguing watch. I recommend Kramer versus Kramer and marriage story as a interesting double feature. That was great. My number 11 is going to be all about puberty for girls. It's going to be 13 from 2003, and then you're going to want to chase it with eighth grade from 2018. (laughs) (laughs) This is two films about girls becoming teenagers, trying to figure out how to make friends, Mm. how to make a good friend Mm. versus having a friend for friend's sake and how unhappy that can make you as well as your family. And what's interesting 
is they have that in common. One is an unhealthy experience and one is a healthier but still painful experience. They're both pretty challenging experiences. Uh, If you're a girl and you've gone through puberty or going through puberty, it's good to watch these two films. They're very relatable. Eighth grade being made in 2018 is dealing with a different element, an element with phones, an element of social media. So in that way, the two films will contrast versus 13 being made in 2003 and not having everything readily available at your fingertips Mm. as a teenager right you know it just it just wasn't like that so two totally different times interesting experiences contrasting but also kind of about the same thing Mm. Mm. excellent my 11th favorite double feature you know i tried to see if i could come up with a great one for stand by me you know in terms of movies about groups of boys hanging out together and and maybe going on an adventure. And what I ended up finding from, I think, maybe a year before that was a pairing of The Goonies from 1985 with The Monster Squad from 1987. (laughs) That's great! Not as realistically grounded per se, yeah, or as or as moving as Stand by Me, but two really fun movies about groups of boys mm. hanging out, going on an adventure, and being boys of a particular time. Goonies is available on HBO Max. The Monster Squad is available on Amazon Prime. And I will admit, I am definitely more of a Monster Squad fan than Goonies oh. fan, but. Okay. Goonies is definitely one of those uh, iconic 80s childhood movies that brings with it a lot of nostalgia for many people my age. And so I think that that is a really fun double feature idea to see these groups one after another. One dealing with pirate uh, treasure and another (laughs) dealing with the essentially end of humanity with universal monsters that's great coming together so that is my 11th favorite and again available on hbo max and amazon prime my 10th favorite are both available to stream from the same channel how exciting is that that's really exciting that's gonna be the disney channel that's disney for you oh <laughs> uh, what well, i'm curious what this okay. is because we brainstormed disney ideas yeah we were trying really hard and we were kind of coming up empty most of the time but something i couldn't not put in here was bed knobs and broomsticks from 1971 and Mary Poppins from 1964. Okay. Two amazing women with magical properties to them, both being there for children, but also being themselves and and having their strength and power to basically support the children mm. and not sacrifice them any part of themselves. Mm. You know, they're and musicals and with mu- animated sequences. <laughs> And musicals with animated sequels. Oh, well, that must be why, why I'm attracted to it. You mm. know, one is Angela Lansbury. One is Julie Andrews. And just great actresses. Mm-hmm. And both happening in England as well. True. One is dealing with magic for a greater purpose. For 
the masses mm. and one is dealing with magic for the greater purpose <laughs> to save a family. Mm. And it's really wonderful how they come into these children's lives. You know, in bed knobs and broomsticks, it's more like the children come into her life. Mm. And it's just, it's really wonderful caring women who don't sacrifice pieces of themselves. Excellent. Wonderful. My number 10 is 1950s Sunset Boulevard, available on Amazon Ooh. Prime, and 1992's The Player, <gasps> available on HBO Max. Oh my God, can we go do that right now? <laughs> it's a late night. They aren't exactly short films, but they are two movies about movies and two films that are both celebrated and highly regarded films of their respective times. While one is about, <laughs> well, it's interesting because both also feature a dead body. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Both responsible at the hands of a prominent person in film or at one point in film. Yeah. These are both, kind of those Hollywood behind-the-scenes films. Right, yes. Of course, if you're not familiar with Sunset Boulevard, that is a movie that is about a former silent screen star who is desperately trying to get her uh, comeback role and and traps a a screenwriter to write (laughs) that role for her. Lots of cameos from the time of the industry. Same thing with The Player mm. by Robert Altman. Lots of cameos in that, a plenty. Lots of references, including a famous crane shot that rivals another film's famous crane shot that is a single take. This one is about a producer who accidentally murders someone and will he get away with it. Mm. Both great films, and both are available to stream. One on Amazon Prime, the other on HBO Max. My next double feature, I should say, sometimes they're completely similar and sometimes they're not. This one is very similar, but fits into different genres of film. Edge of Tomorrow from 2014 and Groundhog Day from 1993. Uh. Both are time travel, repeating the day, and until they get something right. In one case, it's an action film, and in another case, it's a quieter sort of comedy and it's both about assholes becoming better guys, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So there's a little bit of arc happening here. And both have fantastic cast members in Edge of Tomorrow. We have Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt in Groundhog Day. We have, of course, Bill Murray. And then who is the leading female role? Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell. So mm-hmm. great pairings. Same concept, Totally different situations. You know, Groundhog Day is kind of a nightmare for Bill Murray. But Edge of Tomorrow is kind of a cursed gift that's been given to try and achieve something for a greater good of the masses. Right, right, of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. A greater good of masses might be my new thing. I'll try and limit it. That's the name of my next band. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so great actors all across the board. Time travel, how could I not? There were there was another time travel selection for me, but I kind of went with this one because this is the funner pairing. Well, it's not so much time travel as a time loop. Film, oh, I'm right? sorry. Yes, of course, time loop. Yeah, yeah, which is equally fascinating for oh, you. Maybe I should throw the other one in. <laughs> <laughs> well, my next favorite double feature is limelight from 1952 starring charlie chaplin available on hbo max and a star is born from 2018 oh you did find a good pairing starring lady gaga and bradley cooper available also on hbo max so you can just go right to each on the same subscription service, which is really exciting. Uh, Limelight, one of my absolute favorite Charlie Chaplin films, is about an kind of aging past his prime vaudeville star who is looking after an on-the-rise ballerina who actually was suicidal, and he, he is essentially trying to give her some hope, give her some confidence and self-esteem again and and you know help give her the boost that she needs to get out there live life and and chase after her dreams a star is born it has its similarities you have someone who's kind of past his prime and and suicide also factors in in ways i won't explain here into a star in a star is born but you also have you know, this star who's on the rise, who's, I, I mean, yeah, discovered by the older performer. So uh, I highly recommend and enjoy the idea of seeing Limelight and a Star is Born, Lady Gaga version, one right after the other. It's my ninth favorite double feature. Two amazing performers. Yes, That's exactly. Really wonderful. Good pairing, love. My next one is The Namesake from 2006. Follow it up with The Farewell from 2019, available on Prime. Mm. Both movies are in some way about the immigrant experience. The Namesake is about an Indian man and woman who have come to America to build a great life. They have their children and it becomes quickly about a relationship between a father and son and also between the family, first-generation American versus immigrant. This is something I think is going to be very interesting for me when the time comes. It's interesting already with my stepson. And then The Farewell is a little similar as well. Parents bringing their five-year-old daughter to America to try and have a great life coming from China. And what's great about that film is she remembers living in China. She remembers a life before America. Mm -hmm. And in both movies, family is important. In both films, immigrants are sharing their experience. And there, there is a factor in the film of this younger generation having some degree of appreciation for where they came from too. And, and mm. it's a little bit of a contrast between the two films, I believe. Right. Yeah, you're right. And the namesake, the first generation American is very American, ready yeah. to live his life for himself. Mm, kind of struggling a little bit with what the family expects mm -hmm. uh, versus the life 
that he has been living in America amongst Americans. Yeah. And in The Farewell, it's a little different, right? It's this yearning to go back and respect family, but also having a conflict with how she was raised to be American. Mm -hmm. And that's very interesting. Yeah, that's a great pairing. I love it. Absolutely. Wonderful. My next favorite double feature, I almost paired (laughs) this movie with The Assistant. Oh, yay. But I realized I don't love The Assistant. Mm. So I paired... It's not entirely pleasant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great film. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah. It's a really good film. But yeah. So I paired Secretary from 2002, available on HBO Max, instead with The Duke of Burgundy mm. from 2015, a movie that's not available to stream, unfortunately. But I do love quite a bit and keep finding myself drawn to every few months and i introduced to you as well both of these movies are about relationships that involve bondage in some way or bdsm or some form of sub and dom dynamic in secretary it's in the form of the workplace. I was not going to pair this with Fifty Shades of Grey. No, 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 by the way. That, that was is... also a concept we had was yeah. pairing the good version of representation with the bad so that you know the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I was not going to pair that and recommend that. But with Duke of Burgundy, you have a relationship through uh i think they they met each other through university or some sort of educational environment regarding the study of butterflies Mm. they have that in in common and they're two women which adds a sensuality and lushness to the film that i really love so secretary on HBO Max and The Duke of Burgundy is my eighth favorite double feature. A contrast between those films is also Secretary is shot in a very plain way, cinematography speaking. Yes. And then The Duke of Burgundy is, like you said, there's very lush tones, warm, golds, totally different visual experience. Absolutely. And I think even what it's shot on is Mm. very different too. Mm. So anyway, what's your seventh favorite double feature? Oh, this is a fun one. This is one's a little different to what I've mentioned before and how it's how and why it's paired together. It's The Land Before Time, 1988, Have a Good Cry, and then Chase It with Jurassic Park from 1993. <laughs> it's like a graduation with movie maturity. For those who don't know, this both both of these films feature dinosaurs. <laughs> Land Before Time dinosaurs during dinosaur time okay prehistoric era and then jurassic park bringing dinosaurs into the modern era um i can't remember the actual name for the era that we're in you mean scientifically yeah i I can't i can't recall and it's it's going to be so sad because (laughs) i go to the burke museum where you learn about that stuff Mm. but it's it's just too bad and we grew up my brother and i grew up watching the land before time And then when my mom came home with the VHS of Jurassic Park, we were like, oh, cool. You know, the logo is very friendly and 
doesn't say that, you know, things are going to get bitten off or eaten. <laughs> and you think, oh, cool, this is our next Dino favorite movie. And we loved it. It was so yeah. great. We were, I think, way too young. <laughs> we were like yeah. seven and four or maybe eight yeah. and five. Yeah. So uh, a little crazy when we got the release of this on VHS. But so much fun because we grew up with both. We would teeter-totter between the two. And so I feel like this is a unique pairing because it's about graduating from family animation mm -hmm. to action-packed, crazy sci-fi adventure. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting idea, the maturity uh, progression. Well, it's also have a good cry and then have a good laugh or jump scare. So it's great. Very cool. My seventh favorite is a documentary double feature. What? That's great. Yes. Monterey Pop from 1968, available on HBO Max, and Woodstock from 1970, unfortunately not available on a uh, screaming service. This also makes for a long day. While Monterey Pop yes. is not a very long movie, I think it's somewhere around 90 minutes, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. Yeah, an hour and a half. Uh, Woodstock is, you know, if you get the director's cut, especially you're talking about a four, four and a half hour experience, but what an experience and what a time capsule of, uh, of culture and time and, and music you have to understand. And, and, and sometimes the research, the extra textual stuff, the features help with this, but understanding that a lot of talent that we take for granted today debuted at something like the Monterey Pop mm -hmm. Festival. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the first time that the world or the country or whatever had experienced these people's music before they had a great recording career, sometimes like flash in the pan recording career because of their lifestyle, whatever recreational mm -hmm. activities they mm -hmm. had, you know, but it is extraordinary. I highly recommend it. It's just some of the best rock docs you will ever see paired together makes for a amazing yeah. uh, afternoon. That's Monterey Pop uh. from 1968 and Woodstock in 1970. Monterey Pop's on HBO Max. I think you're misleading people, so I'm just going to jump in here real quick. It's a day event. It's like <laughs> a good your Saturday you know, watch the hour and a half, have a little snack, stretch the legs, take the dog for a walk, watch the first half of Woodstock, have a little break, yeah, and then maybe. watch the second half yeah, for sure. You, however you like, as long as it's a double feature for you, it'll be a great one. What's your next favorite? Oh, this is a great one. We start in 1944 with Gaslight, mm. followed by 2020's Invisible Man. An entire episode of The Movie Lovers yeah. <laughs> last year that we did. Wonderful choice. Yeah. Now, this is one of those where it's like, okay, I'm going to get mad, but I'm also going to get happy because both of these films have satisfying endings, you know, and that's not really giving anything away mm. entirely. Mm. Both are psychological, abusive relationship films. Mm-hmm. And one is dealing with, in Gaslight, we're learning the word gaslight. <laughs> I mean, this is where it comes from. Exactly. You know, it comes from 
this film. Mm-hmm. How fantastic is that? Something that has now entered our our verbiage. Our lexicon, yeah. Yeah. And then Invisible Man is taking a universal monster film, really, and turning it into something incredibly modern, incredibly relatable, mm-hmm. no matter your situation. You do not have to be in a psychologically abusive relationship to understand what's happening for women between these in these two films and it's just fantastic performances different eras mm-hmm. still same shit <laughs> so. sadly but an extraordinary pick i love that that ended up being a very interesting experience and an interesting discussion that we had as well i'm sure listeners will share in that experience when they take on that double feature my sixth favorite double feature now we're at the halfway mark of this segment you had your immigrant experience double feature shanna i have mine there are so many what did you pick from 1986 an american tale by don bluth and from 2003 in America. That's perfect. By Jamie Sheridan. Perfect. Both movies will reduce you to a puddle of tears. I'm trying not to look at you right now because anytime <laughs> you just say American Tale, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Yes. Uh, American Tale has a beautiful songbook because it is an animated musical about Russian mice emigrating em- em- to the United States, a land of hope free of cats, all that sort of stuff, and opportunity. And in America, has a beautiful score, a film about an Irish family moving to New York for hopefully a new start and new opportunities. Both struggle. And both have a certain sense of loss of child in the story. I won't go into detail. I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at you. (laughs) Uh, I won't go into any details because one is thoroughly a part of the plot's mechanics. Another is uh, something that you learn as you go about. So uh, beautiful films, wonderful films about immigrants, uh, wonderful films about hope and opportunity and a new start. I absolutely love An American Tale from 1986 and In America from 2003. It's a great pairing because this is really taking a look at even if you immigrate, even if you come to America to live your American dream or go to whatever country that has your country dream, you still will have issues that will follow you Mm. and that you will need to deal with. But it's certainly helps when you're together as a family wonderful my number five is that where we are right now correct only lovers left alive from 2013 and let the right one in 2008 available on prime these are both vampire stories Mm. both are somewhat vampire love stories different ages different maturities with only lovers left alive i think they've been around Oh, maybe. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm such a bad fan. Maybe they're like between 
300 to 1,000 years old, somewhere around. They've been together for a long time. Sounds like it's time for a rewatch. It is. Oh, yes. Mm. <laughs> and then Let the Right One In is two children. You know, they're very young, maybe... I don't well, know. It's just before puberty, school. maybe. Yeah, well, middle yeah. school's a good description. Yeah. And Only Lovers Left Alive, happening mostly in Detroit. <laughs> Let the right one in. Happening in, was it Sweden? I believe so. Okay. So totally... Maybe Norway, but I oh, could okay. be wrong. All right, all right. No, Sweden. Okay. <laughs> um, so lovely pairing because both vampire love stories and kind of unique ways at looking at vampires in their own rights and also showing you a really nice contrast between American filmmaking and foreign filmmaking, specifically in the European region. Mm. You can tell it's made by, um, you know, America and made by Europe. So Mm. totally different, lovely contrast visually. I would say it's fun to watch the American one first and then, the foreign one, just to get a sense of how things are different. Hmm. Interesting. Very cool. My fifth favorite double feature is The American President from 1995 by Rob Reiner, available on HBO Max, and Lawn Shot from 2019. Both films about presidencies, I believe, being involved in relationships. I believe Charlize Theron plays a, the president in the long shot, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm yeah. not crazy. I didn't have a moment. For a, for a second, I couldn't remember what movie you were talking about. I had a, a momentary lapse of uh, uh, doubting myself. Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. Yes, exactly. Yes. Underrated movie. So great. What a uh, great comedy. Yes, uh, very much overlooked. And I think The American President is at a point where it's getting forgotten, but it is a... Just a fun, Mm. enjoyable, very intelligent in many ways script. Of course, it's Aaron Sorkin, one of his earlier scripts. Uh, Both have fun casts. I would say maybe a little bit more with the American president. You have Michael Douglas and Annette Bening. I think Martin Sheen is in there as well. (laughs) Uh, Michael J. Fox. The list goes on. Also two totally different times. Yes, right. Of course. Absolutely. You know, and uh, Charlize Theron, you don't see her in comedy often enough. And she is enjoyable as all heck here. And, you know, they may be, you could maybe say that the circumstances in both stretch credibility or your disbelief. But I'm able to go along with them fairly well and enjoy both the American president and Longshot American President is available on HBO Max. My number four is an interesting one, I think. Leave Her to Heaven from 1945. It's important to note the year. And Gone Girl from 2014. Movies years, decades apart. Both dealing with a strong woman trying to control her situation by controlling others. It's shockingly awesome. It's even amazing to, to, to realize Leave Her to Heaven was made when it was. Yeah, right, right around the end of World War II. I feel like the, these two movies deal with the dark side of womanhood. You know, the experiences with relationships that are left unchecked. 
and are both, you know, a narrative they're telling themselves that isn't necessarily true and a ton of manipulation in both films. Well, they're femme fatales, right? Yeah, I I guess that's the word. I forget about that word. Yeah, Jean Tierney is considered like one of the prototypical femme fatales and and Rosamund Pike is definitely a descendant of that character, right? Yeah, those are definitely the words that I was lacking here. I love seeing Dark Side Woman. Mm. We don't see freaking enough of it. Mm. Like if we saw enough of it, I feel like we could let go of our dark side a little bit more because one does exist. You know, we have our dark and our light side and this is definitely where things can get really messy and All of us are guilty of manipulating situations, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And I was so fascinated that Leave Her to Heaven was made when it was. Mm. Because I, you know, for so long you you see women being portrayed in a very particular way. So when Gone Girl came out, I was very excited. I was very enthralled with the character and the movie and what they were experiencing there and when we watch lever to heaven and now it's a criterion we're definitely going to buy this film yeah yeah i forgot about that yeah excellent awesome yeah lever to heaven is a great film that uh, people need to rediscover my fourth favorite is close encounters of the third kind from 1977 and arrival from 2016 arrival is available on hulu Surprisingly, Close Encounters not available. Both films about contact with alien life forms, both of the of, of peaceful variety, mm, mm-hmm. and learning and or trying to figure out how to communicate with those alien life forms. Famously, in Close Encounters, it is through John Williams' score, and with Arrival, it dives into linguistics. Very intelligent and fascinating stuff. Uh, Close Encounters uh, focuses on the anti-family man, Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> And Amy Adams. We can't she, really say much. I was going to say, well, she is something of a family person herself. And then I'll leave it at that. Both great films, seminal sci-fi films, uh, one of the best of their decades, and an enjoyable experience as a double feature. Both are great scores too. One by John Williams and the other by Johan Johansson. Oh yes, uh, absolutely. All right, Shannon, we're in the top three. What's your third favorite double feature? My number three that I'm very excited about is Brave from 2012 and Wolf Walkers from 2020 available on Apple TV plus both about wild girls free girls, girls choosing their own paths and coming up against conflict either within their own family life or with society in general. Brave taking place in Scotland, Wolf Walkers taking place in Ireland, both trying to stay true to their land and land traditions in a sense, but also trying to break away from traditions Uh, that do not meet the criteria of choosing your own path. Mm. And both are magical in some sense. I I love both of these films very, very much. So my third favorite, I just realized, is a bit of a quandary because there is a repeat pick here, I I just realized. What did you say? So (laughs) 
The first film is 2007's Once. The second film is 2018's A Star is Born on HBO Max. Oh, this is kind of nice that you have one of those, though. Well... We try not to do repeats, but... It was, it was a complete accident, but when I was like, okay, what's going to be in my top three? Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't even paying attention to what's in my bottom three, and I was like, oh, well, I'm, like, the most <laughs> excited about Once and A Star is Born over these other <laughs> ones that I'm trying to consider. And I'll go... I'll circle back to the other ones I was trying to consider later. Fair. When I do all my mentions. But I, I, I absolutely love Once... And the yeah. idea of doing a fo- following it up with 2018's A Star Is Born, fantastic. And you know they both have this aspect of of two people in a way in music, right? In the field of music, having musical passions. Maybe not so much in Marquetta Aglova actively being in music. She kind of gets like that brought out of her, right? And you know she it becomes this special moment in her life where she work together on creating music but still you have the similarity of these two relationships in the music industry right in the musical arts making music and encouraging each other and that's really where the concept was going for when i thought of that as a double feature and you know maybe the endings have a similar sense of feeling maybe maybe one's a little more dramatic than another but um, I won't necessarily say that you'll walk away with an overwhelming sense of joy, you know, <laughs> but uh, they're both really great films in their own way and uh, great songbooks as well. So that's Once from 2007, A Star is Born from 2018, which one is available on HBO Max. My number two is fantastic as well as anger inducing oh 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 boy okay all about revenge oh it's promising young woman from 2020 to be followed up with revenge from 2017 okay that's the order i prefer do you agree with that order i i think i understand why you go okay go ahead explain both films are about revenge both films deal with, have women dealing with misogyny, either as a direct experience or a friend's experience. The physical destruction and energetic destruction and soul-crushing results that come from such experiences. Promising young woman, uh, her friend has experienced something traumatic and she is going to do something about it. Mm. We don't know what, but she's on her mission. Revenge, she's all by herself in a place far away from society, can't escape, and she needs to stand up for herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, male toxicity is definitely a recurring theme in both of those films. And what was the other thing? I was- oh, yeah. One learns to fight with physical, and one learns to fight with energy as well as physical. Well, I, I think one gets at the more nuanced aspects of the patriarchy, mm-hmm. and one is a more aggressive, uh, more visceral. And Promising Young Woman is this very clean palette, very clean cinematography, very sharp. Revenge is gritty and oversaturated fun. Yeah, definitely. And we are frequent champions of that revenge film. Uh, love it a lot. My second favorite 
you know, I, I'm noticing music as a recurring theme in my double features here. My, Gee, I, I wonder why. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't know, but it, it is interesting. My second favorite is a musical biopic sort of thing. It's Love and Mercy from 2015, available on Hulu, and Bohemian Rhapsody from 2018, surprisingly not available on a streaming service, unfortunately. What I was actually initially going for here is not necessarily the very surface-level musical biopic aspect. Mm. Rather, these are two films that have sequences that it, that express more than I and better than I've ever seen before the musical process, the process mm. of creating mm-hmm. music. Uh, it's, it's it's intoxicating and it's magical and it's fun and so enjoyable. I think with Love and Mercy, it's it's is it good by vibrations? Is that the sequence that there, or is it wouldn't it be nice? I think it's wouldn't it be nice? Okay, I could be wrong. Okay, and then with Bohemian Rhapsody. If I remember correctly, it is the title song. It is Bohemian Rhapsody, Rhapsody is the sequence yeah. I am thinking of. Uh, love both films. I think Love and Mercy is one that is tragically overlooked and uh, needs to be seen right away on Hulu. But, oh, it's uh, on Hulu. Please, everybody go see that film. Absolutely. We're champions of that film as well. And I think both of those films make for great double features. Shanna, what is your favorite Double feature. My number one, it's one of those that started this whole thing. It's one of those that I get excited about that I always want to participate in. Mm -hmm. Whether they're separated or double featured. If we watch one, I feel like I'm missing a limb if I don't watch the other one as well. Okay. And it's very disturbing for me (laughs) and disorientating. Okay. It's from 1976, All the President's Men, with, chased by, 2015 Spotlight. Hmm. And And why did you join those films? I put them together because they're both dealing with journalists working very hard, doing more than puff pieces, really chasing a story, really doing research, really tracking down things, making sure that everything is truthful and backed up by fact Mm -hmm. and having the patience not to even break a little bit of the story until they have everything. Yeah. Uh, Both are dealing with that very, very hard, both different real life stories. All the president's men dealing with, uh, do do they summarize it as Waterloo or Nixon? How do they? Watergate. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Damn song by ABBA. <laughs> Watergate with Nixon. And then in Spotlight, the... Catholic Church. The Catholic Church. Sex abuse. The sex abuse within the Catholic Church. Yeah. Both are very scary things. Both have their own powers. You have the power of the church and you have the power of the government. And you have to, the journalists have to go up against that. Yeah. And chase the truth. Yeah. Those are extraordinary double features. And if you didn't have them, I definitely would. Uh, the, it, it's, it's, it's exceptional. And uh, those two films also are as close to perfect films as mm. you can get. So yeah. uh, wonderful, wonderful pick as your favorite double feature. Did you know this was going to be on my list? 
I knew it was going to be on your list. I didn't know it was going to be number one. I think it's number one because I truly do feel like I'm missing something if I don't get to watch both mm-hmm. within a 24-hour period. Excellent. Honey, tell me what your favorite, you can't live without this, you have to watch it within 24 hours, mm. what is your number one double feature? Well, that is a lot of pressure, I will admit, and it was really tough, but the double feature that got me the most excited was 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey with 1997's Contact. What? That's awesome. Yeah? Yeah, I love it. 2001 A Space Odyssey is available on HBO Max. Now, what brought those two to mind is they both feature main characters who go on a journey across the cosmos and make contact in a way. It's less on the nose with 2001, for sure. That's a head-scratcher, and, you know, it, it's something that you eventually find out. That's essentially what he what happened, in a way. But Contact, the thing is, like, they both have really long journeys, mm-hmm. right? Definitely more so with 2001, because I think that thing goes upwards of 10 minutes long. I think with Contact, it's three to five minutes long, but it's equally as trippy a ride, and I remember it being compared to 2001 as well. Contact, for those who may not be familiar with, because it's not talked about much, it is based on a Carl Sagan novel, a great Carl Sagan novel, about what would actually happen if we made first contact with aliens or had some sort of like communication from aliens on Earth, this actual tangible proof that we are not alone in the universe. And it starred by or it stars Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey, one of Matthew McConaughey's best performances. Wonderful. Tom Skerritt's in it. Jake Busey's in it. So many, so many people are in it. One of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. And so is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Both, I think, maybe included in my 100 favorite movies of all time. So that's my pick for favorite double feature of all time and again you can fee you can find um 2001 on hbo max and so you would do 2001 and then contact correct that's a great chaser <laughs> okay so shanna really briefly what were some other double features that you took into consideration uh that didn't make your list oh man there were so many so many Let's start with the ones. One thing that I didn't mention is we had to avoid movies that were our picks for the 12 favorite movies of all time, too, right? We couldn't talk about those. And so we ran into that issue. I I was able to talk about one of yours, Arrival. Yeah. Right? You had the freedom to talk about one of mine. Did not include it. Are you upset? Did not include it. No, no, no. No. But I mean, like, to to be fair, Harvey and Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Rabbit? So beautiful. I don't think, actually, maybe that one's not in your 12 favorite movies of all time. Roger Rabbit. Harvey Harvey is. is. Harvey is. Harvey was your favorite So Harvey and Roger Rabbit are great because Roger Rabbit, they make reference to Harvey. Right. And both bunnies, both magical in their own way. Yeah. One a little more chaotic. Well, actually, they're both chaotic in their own way. They're both magical. They're both chaotic. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah but go ahead i i digress yeah bashi on the beach with 20th century woman mm. just about generations you know craft craft legacy zoe lister jones craft legacy i was trying so hard to figure out a great pairing and sometimes it would be practical magic and sometimes it would be witches of eastwick it was really hard to i really figure feel that one like out. the witches of eastwick is the better pairing because of the jack nicholson character mm. in that film you have these witches up against a male character and that is very much something and you know, so is craft legacy craft legacy is yeah. very much about the patriarchy yeah I wanted to put Ladybird in there somewhere, possibly with Booksmart, but then there was Mean Girls and Easy A. So one off-limits movie was Inside Out and Love and Mercy, and that one didn't really make sense to you, but Inside Out and Love and Mercy both have these really strong emotional parts to them. And so I thought, you know, one kind of translates the other, in a sense. Hmm. Wild and Nomadland, Pieces of a Woman and Band-Aid, Heartburn and the Woman... Or Witches of Eastwick and the woman. <laughs> Eighth grade and Lady Bird was one. And then Matilda and Amelie was something I considered. Devil Wears Prada. And, you know, just comedy drama with September issue, the documentary is a good one. And then Vampire versus the Bronx and The Last Man in San Francisco. I'm kicking myself because there. What you, did you, you forget? Well, you made me realize there is a beautiful double feature that got buried in here somehow that I was strongly considering. I'm trying to find it and I will share it with you once I do. If I find it <laughs> is the real question. Can't, will I find it? You know, the ones that I was considering along with once in a star is born is uh, 127 hours and wild just barely one. missed it wild is one you couldn't talk about yeah both about uh both our movies people isolated in the middle of nowhere mm. and dealing with their own shit uh as a result essentially i felt like wild and nomadland was a better pairing than that one because both are dealing with loss mm. and going on a journey to to sort of heal themselves Political satire is Dr. Strangelove and In the Loop. Baseball. Oh, that's great. Yeah, right? Baseball movies, Eight Men Out and Field of Dreams. Both mm. of those were circumstances where I loved one but didn't love the other. You know, yeah. I like the other. Serpico and Copland. Uh, cops Against Corrupt Cops. Uh, I loved Your Lever to Heaven and Gone Girl. LA Confidential and The Nice Guys. The Post and All the President's Men. One oh. follows the other sequentially. Yeah, yeah, know? that's one way to put it. I I had arachnophobia and jaws, or I would swing them around actually because mm. one, the mayor isn't listening; <laughs> other, the doctor of the town isn't listening. You know, super interesting. I could not consider a league of their own, and I had several choices for that movie. I think I would have leaned more towards maybe A League of Their Own and Battle of the Sexes with mm. Emma Stone. I would have done A League of Their Own and Field of Dreams. The oh, fascinating. You know, like the sort of excitement and healing of a sport. Mr. Blanding's builds his dream house and the money pit. People versus Larry Flint and private parts. 
you talked a lot about pieces of a woman and Band-Aid. Mm. I don't think I would ever want to experience pieces of a woman again. <laughs> but thematically, that was a great idea. I, I think it could be an interesting compare and contrast between the subject uh, of the subject matter of the two movies. Right. And definitely you would want to do Band-Aid after pieces of a woman yes yes that is true doc hollywood and cars i'm not a fan of cars but thematically those two work together peter pan and hook the three caballeros and the three amigos yeah the notebook and away from her both are movies that deal with dementia or alzheimer's in some way and the love bug and christine both having to do with self-aware automobiles uh, so, yeah, the list kind of goes on and on. Again, there were like 50 I took into consideration here, having to narrow it down to just 12. It was an interesting exercise, no doubt about that. Beetlejuice and a ghost story. Heathers and Mean Girls. I don't know if you mentioned that one, Shannon, or not, but that was another one. In a World and I Know That Voice. Both films having to do with voice acting. Uh, anyway, what are your favorite double feature ideas? Feel free to let us know at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Shanna, that's going to about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Before we talk about the next episode, share with people where they can find you online. You can find me at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography on Instagram. And you can find me on Flickchart under Spellbinding A. Jeff, where are the many, many places people can find you? Or rather, did you find an answer to your... I, I found the fucking thing. I did. And it would have been in my 12. God damn it. It would have been easily in my 12. It's my man Godfrey... Uh, and parasite such a perfect pairing very perfect of of people you know who the have-nots and the haves oh i'm kicking myself i don't know how i overlooked that when i was transferring my list over that's why i had uh, the once and a star is born on my list anyway for crying out loud the gibsonreview.com is where is the main blog you can find everything all the features on there disney through the years is on there uh past episodes of the movie lovers is on there and so many other things from the past 10 plus years go to social media follow on facebook the gibson review or on instagrams uh, the gibson 99 i do bracket polls on there most recently at the time of recording, we did your favorite alien invasion movie, which I don't think had wrapped by the time of our last episode being recorded. John Carpenter's The Thing was your pick for favorite alien invasion movie. Right now, at time of recording, we're doing a massive poll for your favorite musical. That is sure to be up by the time you're hearing this podcast we are on round two at the time of recording so feel free to go to gibson 99 on instagram to find out the results from that one and you can also find me on flick chart the gibson 99 okay shanna next time on the movie lovers black widow black widow is finally out the next mcu movie Scarlett Johansson is back one last time, hopefully, as the titular character. Finally happening. It's finally happening. Florence Pugh finally being introduced into the MCU. Looking forward to that. 
Uh, we don't have a film fave segment decided on that. Probably announce that on Instagram. Keep an eye out for that. We just haven't even gotten that far in terms of thinking what could be a great pairing or what would be a great segment that we haven't done yet for film faves. Look for that episode, though, on Tuesday, July 20th. In the meantime, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.